I always say student loans are like what everyone hates with everything. It's money, it's personal finances, it's your own psychology, it's dealing with the government. Like literally everything we- Oh my gosh, you're right. Everything we hate is a big people like rolled up into one package. And so you do have to advocate for yourself. Hey, this is Allison and welcome to the Inspired Budget Podcast where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today we have Robert Farrington joining us. He is a student loan debt expert and founder of The College Investor. Whether you think you're going to have student loans, you have student loans currently, or you have children and you're thinking they might have to have student loans, this episode is for you. We're gonna be talking about repayment options for student loans, the best repayment plan out there, as well as the types of student loan forgiveness programs. We're also gonna be talking about the number one thing that parents need to take into consideration when it comes to their own children taking out student loans. Let's go ahead and dive into this amazing interview. Be sure to grab your notebook and a pen because you're going to want to take notes on this one. Welcome, Robert, to the Inspire Budget Podcast. I'm happy to have you here today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yes. Okay, so you are founder of The College Investor. I'm curious to know kind of how you found yourself there before we dive into all things student loans. All right. Well, I started The College Investor when I was finishing college because I was really kind of not happy with what I saw at my school in terms of talking about investing. And I was very passionate about investing. I like to side hustle. I was that kid that was like selling stuff out of my backpack. I was selling stuff on eBay. And then I'd take that money and I'd like to invest it in the long term. And this was like, I don't know, almost like 15, 20 years ago at this point in time. And everyone then was still talking about almost like the same thing you see today with like meme stocks and penny stocks Mm. and different things. And I was like, yeah, that's not really like how you build wealth. I mean, it's fun to gamble and stuff, but like that's That's not going to help you over the long term. Right. And so I wanted to start the College Investor to share my thoughts on investing. And that's really Mm. how it started was all about like how to side hustle, how to earn money and then how to invest for your future. Right. But then had the stumbling block of student loans. It wasn't so straightforward. I had $43,000 in student loan debt when I graduated school. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends were like, hey, like I'd love to invest too, but I have this debt, right? And like, I don't know what to do with it. Should I invest? Should I pay it off? Like, how do I handle it? And so I started writing a little bit about it. And then I had my own problem with my loan servicer. So this was before any student loan debt crisis or anything. They had taken my auto payment. It was on auto debit, right? Every single month. And then all of a sudden I got all these notices that I was late on my payments. Where did they go? I don't know. Right. And so I had to like go battle customer service and send all this stuff in. And so then what does any good blogger do? I wrote about it. You complain online. Can you believe this? (laughs) Yes, that is what I did. And honestly, it was one of my first posts that ever went viral. And all these people were commenting and sharing it. And they're like, this is like a real thing. And nobody is talking about it. Wait, Mm -hmm. like I said, way before you saw the student loan crisis in the news, they were causing all kinds of issues for Mm -hmm. student loan borrowers. And so I started writing more about it, learning about it, sharing other people's stories about it. And so here we are today with like a mission of really helping people get out of student loan debt Mm -hmm. so that they can start investing and building wealth as early as possible. Well, do you think that it's okay for people to invest while they're paying off their student loan debt? They should, 100%. (laughs) Like, I guess you were, right? You were accruing student loan debt, but then also selling random things from your backpack to invest, which by the way, could be creepy, but I'm guessing you got away with it. I got I mean, I still flip things on eBay to this day. Like you have that mm-hmm. bug in you that you see a good deal and that you could sell it. 
you just can't get past it. Right. I don't see. I don't have that. I'm like, let's leave that for someone else. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. You you, you never walk by like the clearance rack at target and like see something and you know, it's worth a lot more. Cause I'll do, I'll walk by and I'll see like a a Dyson vacuum. Like it's like 70% off at target. I'm like, Oh, I could sell that for double on eBay and you just take care of it. (laughs) For me, it's like adding to my plate. I don't want to add to my plate. I want to take off of my plate to the point where Mm -hmm. like, even when we're decluttering our home, I'm like, let me just donate it. I don't want to deal with trying to list it or anything like (laughs) that. So, but that's like me choosing time over the potential income, I guess. There you go. Right. No, that's fair. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into student loans because I graduated with student loans and I'm very ashamed to say that I, I didn't know anything when I was taking out student loans. I remember, I'm sure my mom did her best effort of trying to educate me, but there's something about talking to your kids where they just don't listen. (laughs) (laughs) I know I have found that with my own children. They just don't listen to their parents the same way that they might listen to someone else. So here's my mom, probably most likely trying to pour into me, teaching me. And I remember her saying, Allison, they're offering you all of this, but you don't need all of it. And I'm like, why would I not take it? Like, hello, it's free money. And I remember she probably said like, oh, it's not free money. But when I graduated, I was in shock. I don't know what I was thinking back then about paying it off, but I remember being so overwhelmed with my payment, which honestly, it wasn't even that much money, but it felt like a lot of money at the time. So what options are available to students that graduate and their eyes are just opened to this debt that they have? Yeah. So first off, I always encourage everyone to get organized with their debt. So here's a scary stat is most students have four to five student loans when they graduate, right? You take one every year. And so you don't just have one, you got a few and you need to find them all, get organized and then see what your payments are going to be. And then you have a lot of options. This is what a lot of people don't realize with student loans is you get that first bill in the mail and you're on the standard 10-year repayment plan. Mm. And that is the most expensive monthly payment that you could have for your student loans. So you get sticker shock on that first bill, but realize there are a lot of other options. But the scary part is some people see that and then they like just don't do anything and then they let it go to the wayside, right? Uh, And that's like the worst you can do. Ignore it. Don't ignore it. Do they come after you? Because I didn't do that. But do like I took my six months grace period. Yeah. Yeah. My party period, as I like to call it, where I just do whatever I want with my money. But what happens if you just ignore them? Yeah. So student loans are the worst debt in terms of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So if you have federal student loans, there's no statute of limitations. They can come after you forever. Uh, They can garnish your wages. They can take your social security. If you like kick this down to like retirement, they can take disability benefits. They can do a lot to take it from you. And like, here's the scary stat is that 98% of all money lent out gets repaid. Even if you're in default, because the government will garnish your wages and take your money. So they have that power too. And they don't have to go to court or anything. So a lot of people are like, oh, if the federal government, like I don't pay my loans, like they have to sue me. They have no, they literally, the IRS has, they'll take your tax refunds. They have all your info. They just start taking your money from you. So don't do that. They have all the power. (laughs) They have all the power. (laughs) It's not like Best Buy and having like a Best Buy credit card debt or anything. Exactly. If you have private loans, they do mm-hmm. have to go to court and they do have to do things like that yeah. to get their judgments and sue you. But the federal government, they just they can take your money, they can garnish your wages and stuff. So don't don't skip out on it. Okay. But 
a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of repayment program options. And some of my favorite ones, if you're worried about making the monthly payment, is income-driven repayment plans. Mm -hmm. So these are the ones you hear about where they take your monthly budget or they take your monthly income and they set your repayment at 5 to 10, 15% of your monthly income. Mm -hmm. And if you don't make a lot of income, your monthly payment could legally be $0 a month. Wow. So if like, look, you're hitting that six month grace period and like you still don't have a good job after college or things aren't working out, mm -hmm. you get on an income driven repayment plan and your monthly payment could be very low or even $0 a month. So don't panic. There's options for you. You just got to apply for them. Do they change the interest rate when they do that by any chance? No, your interest rate is oh. fixed as Darn. soon as you take out a federal loan. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I'll also tell you that so many people get hung up on the interest rate. And it's a mm -hmm. big pet peeve of mine. Your oh. interest rate does not really matter that much on your student loan debt. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. So if you take your total amount, like let's just fast forward 20 years down the road and you add up how much you spent on interest and how much was principal repayment, on average, it's about 30% of your total amount of payments okay. go to interest, which is a lot. And we yeah. would like to not have that. But the biggest factor of your monthly student loan debt payment is always going to be how much you borrow every single mm -hmm. day of the week. It's always that. And so, you know, don't fret so much on the interest, especially when you realize that your income driven repayment plan, your payment's not even based on the interest. It's based on how yeah. much you make. So focus on boosting your earnings, doing things in that regard, and then okay. you can go. But then part two is if you're going to get loan forgiveness, don't pay as much. I as know, you can. right? <laughs> All right. Let's hold out for that. Yeah. Hold, hold out for that. There's multiple parts to this, That's right? True. So there's Biden's one time student loan forgiveness that mm -hmm. potentially is going through in the next few months. Right. Um, it's going to be 10,000 or 20,000, right? And mm -hmm. so, again, if you qualify for that, it should be automatic for some people, but mm -hmm. I recommend everyone go to studentaid.gov and apply, even if you think it's going to be automatic. Like, seriously. Yeah, don't take just the risk. do it. Yeah, just exactly. Do it, don't right? miss out on it because you didn't go to one website. And I can't tell you how many people I see right now in my comments that didn't take action over the last like two mm -hmm. or three years and are missing this forgiveness just because they did silly things of like waiting and not taking action on their loans. Mm -hmm. So take the action and do what you need to do. But part two is other loan forgiveness programs. What a lot of people don't realize is 50% of every borrower today qualifies for some type of loan forgiveness. That's not this $10,000 deal, like mm -hmm. actual loan forgiveness. 50% of people qualify, but a lot of them don't take action. The biggest one, like public service loan forgiveness, mm -hmm. things like that. Like you can get your loans forgiven even without any changes to the laws or different things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's because the idea of doing it is overwhelming or do you think that people just aren't aware of it? Both. I think there's a lot of lack of awareness because you mm -hmm. hear things like teachers get loan forgiveness yep. or police I officers do. Right. But yeah. they don't realize that you could be the secretary in the front office and get loan forgiveness mm -hmm. because you just have to work for the school district. So right. like, there's a, actually a lot of jobs that qualify for this that people don't realize mm -hmm. that they could qualify. Yeah. And so that's really frustrating that you could literally work for any type of nonprofit, the government in any capacity, mm -hmm. any type of first responder, all these things like you just have to work there. You don't actually have to be the teacher or the firefighter or that person to get the loan forgiveness. So okay. keep that in mind. And 
then part two is, yes, you do have to apply for it and you do have to do some certain steps. Mm -hmm. Like you have to get your HR or your boss to sign your form. You have to make sure it's filled out completely. Over 30% of all the applications got rejected just because they weren't filled out completely. Wow. Like, come on, fill out the form completely, people. Okay. So I think part of it is knowing, right? So if you're listening to this and you have student loans, just Google right now, student loan forgiveness for, I guess, what the career that you're in or hundred percent. Yeah. Student loan forgiveness for the career. You can Google student loan forgiveness programs. You can, there's Mm -hmm. just, you can find it. You also should look in your state. So a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. realize that a lot of states offer student loan forgiveness programs for people of their state. And some of them are like, super cool. Like I will tell you like Maryland, you buy a house in Maryland and they'll give you like $10,000 just for buying a house in Maryland. Wow. <laughs> no joke, right? Maine, okay. I think if you work in anything in the STEM field, Maine will give you loan forgiveness. Like Kansas does things like if you live in certain areas. Mm-hmm. So like, they're not all like, there's a lot of doctor ones. There's a lot of lawyer ones. Mm-hmm. There's things like that. Teachers. But there's like, yeah, but there's a lot of other ones that are kind of niche and they're mm-hmm. really cool. So you need to check your state and see if you have options. Okay. So that's like everyone's homework right now. Action. If you take anything away, do that. And I will say that I received $5,000 of loan forgiveness for being a teacher. My husband did as well. I had a friend who was a special ed teacher and received 17,500 and it took her so long to get it just because of the forms. And I was like, Kendra, like literally, if you take an hour to do this, (laughs) you get seven, like think of that at 17,500. But I think that maybe what holds people back is that it's not direct income, right? Can you talk about that? Because I don't want someone going in there thinking, oh, I'm going to get $17,000 in my checking account and I can use 2,000 to pay off my loans and 15,000 to spend on a nice vacation. So can you talk about like, once you qualify, what happens? Yeah. So teacher loan forgiveness, like you said, it's a five-year program. Public Mm -hmm. service loan forgiveness is another one that I actually recommend more teachers do public service loan forgiveness because it's the total amount of your student loan balance, but it's 10, it's 10 years, right? So you kind of have to do the math. If you have less than like five to 17,500, maybe you go for teacher loan forgiveness. If you have more than that, you probably want to go for public service loan forgiveness, right? Can you do both? You can double dip until October 31st. So actually for people listening to this podcast, you're probably not going to be able to double dip, but some people could have double dipped if they were on it. Again, this is where it's like, you have your loans. You need to kind of stay up on your student loans Mm -hmm. because all these little programs and stuff could like really give you a sizable amount of money, but you're right. You have to fill out the paperwork. You send the paperwork to your loan servicer. Right. And then in like, 60 to 90 to 120 days, they'll adjust (laughs) the balance of your loans to reflect your loan forgiveness. So like, Mm -hmm. it really also like, it's a great feeling when your like loan balance turns to zero, but like, there's no like party being thrown in your name here or money going into your checking account. Like you'll just Mm -hmm. get an email notification that says like, you have an update to your student loan account. You log in and like your balance is zero after a a long period of waiting, Mm -hmm. but you've got to turn in that paperwork and you have to make sure it's filled out completely. You should always keep a copy for yourself and you have to advocate for yourself. I think that's the really frustrating part too, is I always say student loans are like what everyone hates with everything. It's money, it's personal finances, it's your own psychology, it's dealing with the government. Mm -hmm. Like literally everything we- Oh my gosh, you're right. Everything we hate is a big people like rolled up into one package. And so you do have to advocate for yourself. Which is why you put it off. It's confusing. confusing. Yeah, it's not. Yes. It's the- (laughs) Wow. And and then some people, I remember whenever I was working on paying off my loans, there was this guy I worked with and he was like, 
don't do that. That's bad for your taxes. And I was like, don't tell me what to do. Like, it's like you throw in the tax. You know, there's these myths. Yeah, 100%. That people that might be well-meaning, there's well-meaning people out there that are giving you advice that just isn't true. They're just spewing these myths and then changing the way you think about it. So, okay, that's fascinating. I love it. Today's episode is brought to you by my free debt-free roadmap. If you have debt and you're trying to become debt-free, you know that it's sometimes a little bit overwhelming to figure out how to reach your end goal. And sometimes paying off debt is not as simple as it seems, which is why you need a roadmap fast. In this free debt-free roadmap, you're gonna get the seven easy steps to follow that will set you up for actual success on your debt-free journey. And I'll be sharing with you the three most common mistakes holding people back from paying off debt so that you can avoid them every single month. Plus, you'll get free resources sent straight to your inbox every single week. Go to inspirebudget.com slash debt-free to get instant access or click the link in my show notes right now. If someone has student loans, because I, I mean, I, my student loans are gone. So thankfully I don't have to deal with this, but they're already paying on them. Let's say that they're several years out of college. Maybe they're in their thirties and they are hearing this now. And they're like, wait, what? There's an income repayment plan. Mm -hmm. Can they get on that now? Absolutely. You definitely can. You can change your repayment plans anytime. It's actually really easy to do. You literally go to studentaid.gov. If you scroll to the bottom of the website, there's a link there that says apply for income driven repayment. You just click it. (laughs) You can start the process right there. I'm going to make this even easier. We're going to put that link in the show notes. There you go. So, so yeah, you right can change there, it anytime. Link will be in the show notes. I will tell you a couple things. First off, hopefully no one with federal student loans has been paying their loans over the last two and a half yes. years, right? So the loans have been paused right. if you had federal loans. And mm-hmm. I beg you to not ever pay if your loans are paused. If you have paid, you can request a refund of your payments mm-hmm. and please do that. And I ask Mm -hmm. you because you should never give the government any money they don't deserve, part one. (laughs) Part two is you could potentially cost yourself things like Biden's 10,000, 20,000 loan forgiveness Mm -hmm. if you paid them. You need to request the refund and then get your loan forgiveness. So this is Mm -hmm. why you don't ever pay more on your debt. And I know it's very counterintuitive, but I also think- student loan debt. On your student loan debt. So this is the thing. I I want everyone to take their student loan debt and like put it in like its own little bubble and treat it very differently than any other type mm-hmm. of debt. It's different than car debt, car, credit card debt, than a mortgage. Like mm-hmm. it is its own can of worms. It has its own set of rules. It's very different and you should kind of treat it as such. So don't pay wow. those, don't pay that money. And then honestly, unless you're going to pay off your loans, not qualify for any programs or anything, and I'm talking pay off the loans in like five years or less, like right. you should not really be paying anything extra towards your student mm-hmm. loan debt. You should be maximizing the amount you get forgiven. And there is an inflection point because like I said, a lot of people qualify for loan forgiveness. And if you do, you don't want to throw extra money at it. You want to yeah. maximize the amount forgiven 
Mm-hmm. And then keep that extra money that you do have to invest and achieve other financial goals, right? Okay. So what is the difference between student loan repayment and student loan forgiveness for anyone who's asking and they're like, Robert, you're throwing at a lot of terms at me. Can you just like simplify it down? Yeah. So student loan repayment is literally paying on your loans. It's sending money in okay. on your student loan debt. And there's a bunch of programs for it, right? So we talked about the mm-hmm. standard repayment, income-driven repayment, things like that. That's repaying your loans. Then you have loan forgiveness, which is just like it sounds, you get your loans forgiven. Mm -hmm. However, it's not like automatic. You have to usually do something to get it, right? So you have to be a teacher for five years. You have to work in public service for 10 years. You also have to fill out paperwork and get it. And typically like public service loan forgiveness, you have to fill out the employment certification form. You should do it every year and you just stay up on it. And that way you're not having Mm -hmm. to track down your HR person from seven years ago. Hey, like I worked here seven years ago. Can you sign my form? They're going to look at you all strange. Like just do it every year, like, and then submit Mm -hmm. it and keep a record of it. I like that idea because I've known people that have had to do that and they've (laughs) had issues with past HR departments Mm -hmm. getting that form. So I almost think like set a set a date, right? Like September 1st, February 1st, whatever, choose a day in the year to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this form signed every single year on this day. Just, I actually recommend doing it on like, this is going to sound so lame, but like on your birthday, hey, that's good <laughs> because one. then you won't forget. You won't forget to do it because you're going to remember your birthday. Yeah. So your birthday is the day that you celebrate by having this form signed. There you go. And then like, you know, if you ever change jobs or move mm-hmm. to another school district or things like that, you got to do it. Maybe you have to do it twice in a year, but you got, you yeah. can't forget that because you don't want to mess that up. That's a really great tip. Okay, so we know the difference now between student loan repayment, student loan forgiveness. Now, I want to move to parents, right? Because I see a lot of people right now that they're in their 30s, late 20s, 30s, early 40s, and they're still paying on their student loans, but they have children. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, hold on. You're telling me I have to still pay on my student loans, but I also want to help my kids somehow for college. What do I prioritize? Can I do both? What do you recommend for them? So one of my takes that I believe in truly is that parents have to take care of themselves first. Mm-hmm. Just like the oxygen mask on an airplane, you got to put it on yourself before your kids. Because if you pass out, like you're not going to help them at all. And the sad thing right. is, is I see a lot of that because I do see a lot of parents that are approaching retirement and they they reach out to us and they're like, hey, like, I don't think I can retire Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm still paying Mm -hmm. off this debt. Or they took out loans for their kids because they thought they were being helpful. And then they're like, I have all this debt. And now my kids like doesn't know or they're not they're not paying or they're not Mm -hmm. helping. And so it really becomes awkward because now you not only combine this like really burdensome student loan debt that involves the government and taxes and all that jazz. (laughs) But now you're also like really talking about family friction and you're creating Mm -hmm. these issues where it's like the parents are creating friction with the kids and the kids are resentful of the parents. And like in worst case scenario, the parents are like, Hey, like I got to move in with you. Like I can't afford my life because <laughs> I'm not even joking. I, I like know, I see I these like extreme situations and this is where it's just like, I'm a blanket person. Like, Hey, parents take care of yourself first because there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways to save and pay for college. And yeah. so if you want to talk about saving and paying for college, first off, there's scholarships and grants mm-hmm. and the kids can work. The parents might still be working. Like kids yeah. can go to a community college, which is free mm-hmm. in like half of the United States right now. Wow. They could transfer to a state school. They could do, a, there's a lot of ways to like navigate paying for college in a mm-hmm. very cost-effective way. 
Then you have like the saving for college parts, which I do think that parents can save for college. And one of my personal favorite ways to do that is through gifting. And so we do this in our family where we actually ask all of our family and stuff to, I don't want any more stuff. Like, please stop giving my child like four boxes of Legos or like Barbies. How about we all just give them one thing? And then if you really feel like spending more money on them, which grandparents typically do, like, hey, throw that in their 529 plan. And that- I tried that. Yeah, and- it didn't go so well. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> some some people will say that you don't have a right to tell them what to do. Well, and so uh, <laughs> one, of, so. One, one of our parents felt that way. And I said, well, you yeah. know, I do have a right to take all this back to Target and just do it anyways. So oh. either you can make it easier on our family or, you know, and play ball or, you know, we're just going to do it anyways. Yeah. So mm-hmm. catch 22. And after that conversation, it's been great. And everyone's actually happier. And I think they saw yeah. the benefit of it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of grandparents have this preconceived notion that like stuff is love, like especially boomers. Yes. Boomers well, love their stuff. <laughs> yes. But also I think like parents do that for their kids. Yeah. Like the more I buy for my kids, the more I, you know, do for them, that is showing the love. Yeah. I have fallen into that. Sure. Like I can think specifically about times I've fallen into that. And it's like, wait a minute. I have to stop and be like, the more I buy doesn't equal the quality time that I should be spending with them instead. A hundred percent. Gut check. It is. But then you you realize yeah. all this crap you spend at Target that you throw away and then or like donate after like a year or two. And it's like, man, all that money could have been invested. And even if it's small amounts, mm-hmm. let's just say it ends up being a hundred dollars a birthday and a hundred dollars at Christmas or, or whatever. Right. That's 200 bucks a year. But mm-hmm. then you compound that over 18 years of the kid's life and it grows and everything. I mean, you could have substantial amounts of money set aside for college that either would have been wasted or not really utilized in the best way. And so that's one of my favorite ways to gift. And honestly, if you actually do this in your community, we actually started seeing a lot of our friends start doing it for birthday parties, things like that. And there's a lot of services that you could use. And so they'll put on the birthday invite, like in lieu of gifts, contribute to their, you know, 529 plan. And like, Now a community is all helping each other save and the kid still gets a party and like every kid still Mm -hmm. is going to get gifts. Like, let's be honest. They're still going to get like four or five things, which is like what every kid plays with anyways. Like you give them 20 Mm -hmm. things, they play with three of them. You give them three things, they play with one of them. Like, it's yeah, that's so funny. My kids would be so upset. (laughs) I'm thinking about, I think that it's also something that like it, it helps to start that at a young age. It does. Not like throw it in at 12 and be like. By the way, you're not getting any well, gifts. Well, honestly, <laughs> by 12, like I feel like they start wanting money and gift cards anyway. They do. They do. That's what my 10-year-old wants. He just wants money. Right. And and he just and that's it. That's all he wants is money. And that's what he wants for Christmas. And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's not, like you're going to have something to open for Christmas. Sure. But now you have that. And now it's like you got kind of mm-hmm. you're having a whole different conversation of okay, you got money. You're yeah. gonna save some of it, you're gonna spend some of it. Like, how are you gonna divvy that mm-hmm. up? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for any parents out there, focus on yourself, self, your, set yourself up for success when it comes to retirement and like your kids will be okay. They will be okay. There's lots of ways mm-hmm. to pay for college. There's lots of ways that you could potentially save for college. It doesn't have to be a thing. I think you're honestly, your kids will also be very much more appreciative if they're not having to worry mm-hmm. about you financially by the time they're yeah. in their 20s and 30s because like mm-hmm. you spent these years getting your own financial house in order. 
I agree 100%. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Where can we learn more about you and the College Investor? Yeah. So you can go to thecollegeinvestor.com. We also have our podcast, mm-hmm. The College Investor Audio Show. Or if you like video, we're on all the channels, uh, The College Investor. At the end of every interview, I like to ask three questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Don't think too much about them. The first one is, what is one thing you're looking forward to? Ooh, I am looking forward to, I don't know. Let's see. I think we might go to Hawaii after Christmas this year for the first oh, time. So fun. we never gone at Christmas break and we're really mm-hmm. like getting ready to pull the trigger on that one. So I'm excited. Nice. Which, where in Hawaii? Probably Maui. Probably Maui. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't booked it, but we're like on the, we're like the, you know, 90% like we're going to do it, but yeah. Yeah. I think you should just book it today. Book it today. That's what I say, but I'm very impulsive. So, (laughs) okay. The second question is what is one money mistake that you have made that you would tell everybody to avoid? Oh man. Um, When I graduated college, I definitely fell into the trap of buying that new car. I felt like Ooh. I deserved it. I went and bought mm-hmm. like a brand you new. Hard. I did. I worked hard for this. Like, you know, it was like 45,000 bucks at the time, which, wow. you know, and granted I had a job and like, I was good, but like, you know, I think the car was as much as like my annual salary at my job. Like, you know, oh when I started. Gosh. So it's like, look, you don't need the new car. It's still just transport to and from work. I think my mm-hmm. car payment was like $700 a month too. And wow. I like did it right. And now I'm just like, oh that was gosh. so dumb. But, uh, you know, wow. at least I will say to my credit, I drove the car for 10 years and like, That's I really good. did, you know, get all I could possibly get out of it. But there, there was really no yeah. reason for that one. Yeah. I have never had a new car. Ever. Oh, wow. Okay. Like me personally, I've had a car that was like two years old. But yeah, it yeah. felt so new. Yeah, yeah Everything yeah. was nice. Everything was working. Like to me, in my mind, it was a new car. Sure. Because it was so much better than my old car. Nice. <laughs> that also helped. Okay. And then the last one, not actually a question at all. Just finished this sentence. My favorite thing I've ever spent money on is. Ooh, my favorite thing I've ever spent money on is. I'm going to say probably oh. my wife's engagement ring. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Why? Why? Why that one? I don't like, know. It sealed the deal. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Oh, there she, you go. she wasn't going to marry you otherwise. Right. It wasn't that particular ring. No, no. But like, it's just it's symbolic, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I like it. That's yeah. a good one. That's a first. Okay. Well, I like it. Okay. Well, thank you, Robert, for joining <laughs> us. And I'll link to your website, your podcast, your YouTube, and the what was I linking to again? That um, studentaid.gov. You should definitely do that. Student aid. That's right. We're going to link to that down below as well in the show notes. So nice. be sure to check it out. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode all about student loans with Robert. If you need more information about student loans and what your options include, then I highly recommend you go check out his website, thecollegeinvestor.com. I've linked to it down in the show notes. It is filled with valuable information that will help you understand your options when it comes to repaying student loans or even managing student loans and paying for college for your own children. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone that will benefit from it, do me a favor, just share it with them through a text message or through social media so that way they can listen and learn about their student loan options as well. I'll be back with another episode next week. Bye for now.